Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Ellie Mistal, who is um, looking tired. I mean, I'm just, it's been like six or seven minutes since I checked Twitter. So oh. I'm not sure which new crimes the Trump administration is admitting to. Mm. There yeah. will be some. Yeah, uh, by admitting to, I think you're referencing the the curious decision of Mulvaney to just kind of go ahead and admit to not really a cr- the crime, but admit to the issue undermining the story that has been the administration's story so far. I mean, I feel like we can't even really talk about it because the time this airs, who knows what other wrongdoing these people will, yeah, I don't will really, cop to. I don't really care about it on that front. It's more from my perspective. It was just an interesting decision to say the thing that had been the opposite. So for it those almost playing suggests al- no one's no one's like quarterbacking anything. So for those playing along at home, Mulvaney, uh, Trump's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, was asked at a press presser today, um, that sounds like a quid pro quo. Was there a quid pro quo? And Mulvaney said, well, look, politics and is going to happen in foreign policy all the time, and you guys just got to get over it, which is like admitting the thing. Right. The The previous argument had been, of course, there was no quid pro quo, which, you know, is the right defense if that's what you're going for. And so it it does seem like there's not really a consistent through line on how they're approaching the issue, which, you know, is – the sort of thing that happens when you don't have a lawyer who kind of is running this situation, you know? Yeah, which which kind of – I want to talk a little bit about Rudy Giuliani today because mm-hmm. he fired his lawyer. So Giuliani is – appears to be under investigation by lots of forces, right? He appears mm-hmm. to be under investigation by the Southern District of New York, um, which Giuliani used to run, so there are some turnabout. He appears to be under a counterintelligence investigation, um, and he fired his lawyer, which, I mean, every lawyer joke about, you know, what do you say about a lawyer who has himself as a client? Like, I don't understand what they're doing, and I guess it it scares me or 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 unsettles me because these people are so cavalier about their apparent crimes that it makes me feel like they must know something that I don't know. Right there, it's like the Game of Thrones thing where everybody is in the sept waiting for the trial of Cersei Lannister, and only Margaret Tyrell notices that Cersei's not there. And there's that moment of like, well, she, the fact that she's not there suggests that she knows something that we do not know. And what Cersei knows that Marjorie doesn't know is that Cersei's about to blow up the entire sept. So that's how I feel right now. I feel like I am the high sparrow in the sept waiting for something to happen, not realizing that I'm standing on top of a pit of dragon fire. Well, that was tortured. Um, so yeah. Yeah. They, I, it is, it's not, I don't think that there's, you are unconcerned. Yeah. About that level of it? Sure. Um, No, but of interest is a decision to fire a lawyer when you're under an investigation. Uh, There's 
the adage about a lawyer having a fool for a client. It is true that Rudy Giuliani has extensive legal experience, but no, you should not be representing yourself. And the whole nature of trying to get ahead of things on your own is what leads to a situation where bad admissions are being made and there's no real plan. And that's why you have lawyers and why you should. I feel like Giuliani is trying to set himself up for like an ineffective use, assistance of counsel or just a straight up insanity defense. Yeah, I mean... Because he looks crazy. Well, it doesn't look great. But, you know, I'm going to be one of those people who says he's always been this way, and it's weird that people haven't caught on to this before. Mm. Uh, I mean, there were stories of him at the U.S. Attorney's Office standing up and yelling at people when he wasn't the lawyer. He was just in the audience standing up and yelling at witnesses in court. This is the behavior of somebody who doesn't understand how law works, not somebody who's in a really effective legal mind. So anyway, and that was what? That would be 30, 40 years ago that he was doing that. So anyway. That's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about? We are talking about becoming a lawyer, and this is somewhat timely. For those of you who are in law school, you probably, uh, if you're a 2L right now, you are going through the process of deciding where you want to work. You've probably had some interviews and maybe have some callbacks. Now you're getting to the point where you have offers. Where should you go? Which of these offers should you choose? Which one works for you? And that's what we want to talk about because we – often have a series here that we call The Offer, where you send us kind of an anonymized, well, you don't have to anonymize it, we'll anonymize it for you, recounting of what you're looking at. I have an offer from this place, I have an offer from that place, what I want to do is this, but I don't know. Explain those issues to us, and we can offer what advice we can from our experience covering the industry about which of these two you might want to choose, and two or three or more, however many offers you may want to choose and why. We don't have any submissions yet because we're just telling you about this kind of now, but you should send those to tips at com. Subject line, the offer. You can give us the rundown of what you're looking at, and we can walk, you know, on future episodes, walk through that decision. But today, to kind of preview this, we thought we would talk in a general level about issues you should be looking for, considering, thinking about when you're uh, making a decision on where you want to work. So let's start by with the personal Joe. How did sure. you how did you make your final decision that led you to Cleary? Yeah, um, straight out of law school. Right. So I I did the poll process. Went on my callbacks. The I narrowed it down fairly quickly in buckets of what kind of law I was interested in. So when I had multiple offers from firms that I considered of the same peer group. I would make the decision, if I'm going to go with this kind of a practice, I prefer Cleary. If I want to go with this kind of a practice, then of that bucket of firms, I would prefer, you know, Proskauer or whatever it is. And I went through and kind of created, not that I was dancing around what my idea of what I wanted to be was. I was at that point going into litigation, but what did I really want to be? Did I Was I interested in sort of the foreign sovereign defense stuff, the, you know, 
classical Cleary working in international issues, was that the sort of thing that I was interested in? Was I interested in something that had more of a labor and sports lean, you know, that being the Proskauer discussion? Like, but whichever of these areas I wanted to go into, I made a quick bucket of who's the leader in those areas. And then I, my final decision was just going to those firms and then deciding which of them was the bucket I wanted to be in. Um, and that was, you made that sorting after you already decided that you were going to definitely be in New York, right? Yes. I made the decision about being in New York during the on-campus process. I did interview a few places during on-campus that were outside of New York, but more or less I had decided to be in New York. But that's a good question, too. Let's transition to that. So you were always going to be in New York. Did you even consider anywhere else? Well, I did actually, okay. but it wasn't from. Uh, I was. It was going to be in the tri-state area. So my my big choice when it when it really came down to it um, was whether or not I was going to be in New York or if I was going to be on Long Island. Um, uh, I had some political aspirations in a former life, um, and my father's from Long Island, and I kind of understood that if I if I wanted to run for office, I would probably be running out of Long Island. So the question for me was a little bit of, of did I want to go to, you know, Mineola and, and you know, work in Mineola but live in the district that I would eventually try to run for, um, those kinds of concerns. But I still wanted big law money because that was the whole goddamn point of the legal degree. Um, so a firm like Nixon Peabody, uh, which is a kind of big law firm that has a big office in Manhattan, also has a satellite office yes. in, in Mineola. And I was kind of seriously considering that. Versus kind of doing the standard Manhattan white shoe big law firm, and I had a couple of offers on on that scale, so I had to make that kind of call first. Um, and I didn't make that until callbacks, right? I didn't mm-hmm. make that until I, you know, went out to the offices in the Mineola and remembered the things I didn't like about Long Island mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the things I did like about Manhattan. Um, you know, I, I had to. I had to see that again because, um, you know, being in school for so long and not just college but law school, like you forgot some of the, a little bit of the feel of the place. And after I saw, you know, Great Neck again, I was like, you know what? I I've, yeah. I think I'm good. Amongst the big law firms um, that I was choosing for, and it's interesting to me that you didn't make – didn't say this at all about your choice. I really, really didn't want to work with assholes. Mm. Um like I thought that was like critically important. I knew you couldn't fully, except you went to a law firm. Yes, I mean, yeah, right. So like at that point, right. So <laughs> you're already going to a law firm. You're already going to a big law firm. Like you, you, you are you are self selecting to be around assholes. And let's let's not put too fine a point on it. I'm an asshole. Like mm. I'm a jerk. I didn't want to work with people like me. <laughs> Yeah, although and so that was a weird kind of thing to try to select for. Like, what were there firms that kind of liked the things about myself that I did like, but didn't like the things about myself that I don't like to the point that it wasn't generally hiring people like me? And could I get them to hire me? Yeah, it, I mean, a little three three dimensional chess there. Certain certainly, people that you enjoy working around is going to be key. Uh, although you're not going to get a great sense of that through the callback process. You're not going to have a real good sense of whether or not somebody you've talked to for 15 minutes is the sort of person you can work with and won't be mean. But even if they are, you can, I feel, get a better sense in that 15 to 20 minutes about whether or not they're the sort of person that you can 
actually learn something from. Uh, I felt like I had a greater sense of whether or not a partner I was talking to in 15 minutes was a potential mentor just by the engagement they had with the conversation, the ways in which they talked to me about the work that they were doing, than I could whether or not they were quietly somebody who was going to call me at three in the morning or something like that. Because that you can't predict. You can't predict whether or not they care. Yeah, you are getting the call at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they yeah. don't care. But I do think that you can find places that are nicer than others. Yeah. I think one of the – at least one of the ways that I kind of went through it was, first of all, I looked at firms that through either the on-campus phase or the callback phase proactively emphasized that they were trying to be nice. I mean, this is – I don't know mm. the extent to which this – is still a thing that everybody gets to do. But if you remember, at least back in our day, um, and, and still certainly at you know the Harvards and the Yales and the, and the CCNUs of the world, between on-campus interviewing and the callback phase, they take you out to dinner. Sure. But at, you know, at your campus, right? So you get to meet some more people at the firm outside of just a straight-up interview phase. And, you know, you, I gravitated towards firms, even if it was a little bit of, like, marketing – um, who were marketing themselves as like, we're a nice place to work. We have nice people here. Like, we don't scream at our associates. And that, it, like, firms that emphasize that as opposed to firms are just where it was just kind of a throwaway and like, oh, oh, and, you know, we're, we're good people. Like, yeah. I, I, I looked for that. So that yeah. was one thing. The other thing that I did, and I really do, uh, this is one of like my keys to life. So, like, listen, this is something I want to impart to you. I really did everything I could while I was doing the callbacks to, interact with even in a small way with support staff Uh i am a big believer that you are as good as you treat your you know people that you do not have to treat well Mm -hmm. right so if i was walking from one person's office to the other and i pass the secretary be like hi hi oh my name is ellie i'm interviewing here you know you pass the legal assistance desk Mm -hmm. i would say hi if you pass in paralegals i would say what's up i happen at that time to be a smoker when i would go for my smoke break i would like try to find the people who looked like they were in the it room as opposed to people who looked like they were other associates and just you know shoot the breeze with them like I think that, that that you can tell a lot about how people really are by how they treat people that they do not have to treat well at all. And certainly there were firms where you say hi and the secretaries or legal assistants are like, hey, oh, nice to meet you. And there are firms that like their heads are down. They are It's almost like they're afraid of looking up like that that are cold. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I tried to get a sense that way about which firm might actually be, you know, have have nice people. That's fair, though that is also dangerous because I've definitely interacted with attorneys who have the mindset that the staff I treat like, you know, very well because, you know, they do all these things and they're not getting paid enough for me to treat mean and the associates, I absolutely pay them enough to be mean to. Uh, so that, sure, that is sure. a thing out there uh, <laughs> that's worth considering. <laughs> Uh, but no, you mentioned the dinner aspect. I which, absolutely pay them. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, yeah. there are there are partners who think that. Way. Yeah, and <laughs> I, you mentioned the dinner thing, which is less of an issue in New York. Uh, that's more of a thing for like you were outside of New York, so they people will come up and have an event with you in like a, a large event because that way they can see everybody at once. In New York, they tend not to do that because they don't have to. Frankly, mm-hmm. we're all here. But I will say, if you're at one of those. A good point to watch out for is how 
people already working at the firm interact with each other as opposed to how they're interacting with you. Yeah. If you can see people in the corner laughing and enjoying themselves, especially if you see people of different levels enjoying themselves when they don't happen to have a candidate in front of them, that's a useful sign. Uh, if they are trying to get away from each other the whole time, that's also a useful sign. Especially when you got to remember for these recruiting events, like they're they're putting their best foot forward. Yeah, you would they're, think. They're putting people who have, have, for the most part, volunteered to be there, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're at one of these events with pretty much an all-volunteer crew, and the all-volunteer crew is looking at each other like they want to stab each other in the face, and like they wish they could be anywhere else but there right now because they're so busy and this is like a – like that's a that's a sign. That's, that's yeah. absolutely a sign. So true. So – you ended up uh, – so what – I guess you asked the Cleary choice on mine. What drew you to what I consider a very parallel firm to Cleary, to Dev Voice? Yes. Um, so does Vault, and I think – Yeah, no, I'm, but but I mean, yeah. we, we, we both went to similar places. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the niceness was a thing. Like, Dev Voice has a – has a just it's part of their reputational culture mm -hmm. um, that they are nice and they are nice. I mean, that doesn't mean that I didn't have all nighters or, you know, work very mm. hard and all that kind of stuff, but they were nice about it. You know, it's that I like to say, Devil Boys is the kind of place that's like, oh man, I'm so sorry you're not gonna sleep. Yeah, I really like if we can, if we can get you a nap, we're gonna do that. Like, yeah. That's their. That's the kind of firm they are, um, and it, it it bore out. I thought in in my experience there, I, I met only nice people. But again, just to go back to this cultural thing, I mean, there. I, I don't think I'm telling out of school. There was um, a person that I worked with who was a lateral in from from Scadden, mm -hmm. and you know that person came in with some Scadden in them, right? Some, hey, oh, hey, you got to get there. Hey, this margin is you know. And man, when I say that the partners clipped that person. Mm -hmm. so quick it took him about two or three months but like they explained to that person that there is a way that deba voice treats people and that he was not treating people that way and he had better learn quick and yeah. he did learn quick and so i'd go back to this like i do think that there are firms who emphasize a certain culture and that you can see that that shows up in who they hire now it's interesting i i've been emphasizing so far that i was choosing firms that i thought would be nice to work at you'll note that I have not said that I was particularly looking for diversity mm -hmm. um, in my choices. And for there, I kind of would say what you were starting to say about being nice. I can't tell. I don't, I yeah. just, there, first of all, diversity, when we talk about, especially when we talk about African American diversity, the numbers are so small generally that, like, if you have, if you, if a firm kind of looks up on a class with like five more black people than usual. That like spikes their diversity numbers, and it's just it, it's just random, right? Because the sample sizes are so small, right? So on the one, so a, I, it's it was hard for me to really know which firm was more diverse than another, or if that diversity that I, that visual diversity I was seeing was a kind of statistical blip as opposed to a cultural commitment. They all yeah. say culturally, oh, we care. They all say it. Um, it's really hard to feel it, right? So that's one thing. Two. One of the real issues with diversity comes in the partnership ranks. And right. are you making a diverse class of partners and mentors and whatever? With me going in, I'm not thinking I'm going to be there to make partner. Um, I used to actually have a sign on my desk, that I, a handwritten sign, just like I have in my office, the, yeah. the stop writing so long. I had a handwritten highlighter marker sign 
above my computer saying, remember, you're not trying to make partner. Like, like, so I was not going into the, going into the process thinking this was going to be my home for the next 15, 20 years of my life. I was going in like, where can I kind of put my head down, not get screamed at all the time, make a little scratch and then go live the rest of my life mm-hmm. in a couple of years. Right. So I wasn't particularly looking at diversity when it comes to the partnership ranks. I didn't think that was going to ever going to be my calling Anyway, so I really wasn't looking at diversity uh, indices. And if I was, if that was particularly important to me, I don't know how I would have, I don't know what I would have done to enhance my likelihood of being in a diverse place if I was still going to stay in big law. Now, that's the thing. If I, it seems to me like if I had really cared about diversity, it might have pushed me out of big law entirely. Yeah. Cleary, at your mm-hmm. time, yeah. was kind of renowned for making a real diversity push, really trying to get the critical, as they used to call it back then, you know, getting the critical mass of minority associates to be able to legitimately brand itself as a firm that was welcoming to minority associates. I do think that we need to remember that you're very old. And what I mean by that is you went through this, (laughs) you went through this process quite a while ago. And, not that diversity has been fixed in the intervening years, because that obviously hasn't we happened. We got them! Right. But when you say, oh, well, they all say it, but blah, blah, blah. We, we're we in an era now where just words has kind of fallen behind and nobody's nobody's just saying it anymore. Now there's just various levels of robustness of what they're actually trying to do. You have clients now putting pressure on firms to do things. It's It's a different dynamic now. And given that, you're probably going to I did I just don't want people to do the takeaway. Oh, they all say it, but you know, look for the ones that actually do something. Now, lots of people do stuff, but the question is is that enough for what you want? And it may not be, even though it is far more robust than it was when he was looking at firms and, you know, potentially when I was too. But these days it's uh it's a little bit more, but did that you just mean, try to sell yourself as younger than me? I mean, I'm obviously. I mean, I I'm looking like you've got gray hair and like you just look beaten <laughs> down by life. I'm young and vibrant over here. I really almost missed that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, good job. Yeah. No. Anyway, so that's that's a key to look for is whether or not that's an issue there. But uh, but the flip side of that is times have changed since back then, and one of the issues that has changed is the explosion of income partner ranks and non-equity partnerships, which is something to keep an eye on too, because if you find a diverse partner set, that doesn't necessarily mean it has a diverse partnership. There could well be a situation where a lot of the partners of color are being shunted into a glorified of counsel role and being called partners for the sake of diversity numbers, but really aren't. And so that's something to keep an eye on. Would you work at a firm, speaking of the modern era versus the era when we uh, were going through this, okay. would you work at a firm that required you to sign a mandatory non-disclosure agreement? No. Uh, that, that is, that's an issue that is very much in the news these days. Most firms are, I believe, correctly pushing back, you know, realizing this is bad and walking back from it. Not all. Certainly not all. But – Mandatory non-disclosure agreements, which uh, they're part of the forced arbitration world that too many companies are going down, where they 
force people to have their workplace issues handled in the quietest and most friendly to the firm possible way. That sort of world is rightly under attack as we've been going through a Me Too movement, and that's people led to people that, protesting. That, that, pe- that those agreements are, are too often used to silence legitimate claims of, of sexual harassment, um, sexual misconduct, or racial discrimination. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's just how they use them. When we were coming up, there was no option. Of, you, of course you sign Why? There was no option not to sign one. Um, there was no option really not to go to a firm that had one. Um, if you wanted the big law money, mm-hmm. at least now there truly is. You know, there are firms who have who have you know largely because of students' demands. Yeah. Um, there are firms that have dropped them, and in the face of student demands, there are firms who are sticking hard to them. And at this point, I don't. I would not, in good conscience, go to a firm that's required me to sign such an agreement. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, and that is a very recent change, but a, an important one to keep an eye on. What about – did you look at all at the bonus structure before you made your decision? And did you have a preference, you know, an hours requirement, straight class year uh, re- uh, requirements? Like, did you have a preference? Yeah, that's a great question. When researching firms, you'll find that most of the big firms – Researching on above the law. Right, researching on above the law. You'll find that most of the big tier one firms are more or less lockstep with their bonuses. Everybody's paying on that scale. Now, that said, what's not necessarily there are what the strings attached to that are. Do you need to be billing 2,300 hours to see that equal money? Or is it okay to be billing 1,850 to see that money? Or whatever. Personally, how many do, do pro yeah. bono hours count right. towards those billing requirements? How many pro bono hours? Right. Are there limits? Whatever. From my perspective, none of those requirements mattered to me vis-a-vis am I going to get a bonus. They mattered to me in what they said about how the firm viewed associates. What I mean by that is I didn't care whether or not you know what strings were on the bonus – but I preferred ones where there were no strings. If to that end, there would be firms that only needed 1850, I didn't like them for the same reasons I didn't really like the 2300 minimums. I went to firms, I went to a firm that had no minimum at all. It was just, you know, you're here, you get your bonus. We assume you're working. You weren't at all tempted by firms that offered you a kicker if you right, right? so like a a Quinn Emanuel which right. The hours requirements for the for the mainline bonus are you know kind of industry standard for firms that have hours requirements, but Quinn kind of excels at putting big kickers in if you hit twenty six, twenty seven, right. twenty eight hundred hours a year. I didn't. Now I understand the impulse to say if I really kill myself in for a year, like I should get something for that, and that's fair. But I approached it more as that will even out over time, and what I was really interested in is a firm that had a collegial mindset that said, you're working here. If you aren't cutting it, we will probably fire you, so we don't, we don't need to worry about whether or not you're making 1800 this year and 2200 the next. So long as you are doing your job and trying, and you know there are vagaries to this job, and so we will just... We view you in lockstep, and that mattered to me. I also, I, mean, I, I clearly with you. I, I wanted a firm that was going to treat me like an adult. Yeah, and and you know the the. I also really did not want the. It's not that I had a moral issue here, but like 
I did not like what it said that you would get more money if you build more hours. Yeah. I just feel like that's a perverse incentive to do things more slowly as opposed to more quickly. Um, now, to be fair, I also wanted a lockstep firm because I assumed with my outside interests and whatever that I would be on the low end of any billing competition anyway. Yeah. Um, I ended up billing 2,800 hours in my first year, which is, I mean, I can't even, it was so stupid. It was so stupid. I, I don't know how that happened to me. That's um, a lot. Um, it was bad news. Mm-hmm. It was bad. I shouldn't have done that. So maybe I would have actually benefited from a from a firm that had a, a Quinn Emanuel style kicker. Um, but exactly for what you just said, for the kind of collegial and cultural reasons, if you could get one, a firm with no hours requirement and the lockstep system to me was preferable, even if that meant that at the top end, you might be losing some money if you end up having a particularly tough year. I'll tell you, when this wasn't true of my first firm, but my when I moved into a boutique white-collar practice, that firm had a policy that I actually think is the best answer to the kicker. Rather than have a bonus that is bill more hours and you'll get a little bit more, an indirect way of valuing you if you happen to work more than other people in the year, instead of having rollover and expiring vacation, this policy was you have your four weeks, and if you don't use it, we will pay you out for the unused days. That way, if you build 2,800 hours, you are not getting all your vacation days in <laughs> unless something really weird has happened. You are not. <laughs> so that's a way in which you can receive some additional compensation for the effort you put in that is not structured in the way of you get money for just continuing to hurt yourself more. Right, right. Yeah. It, also, it also kind of – gives you a that's that's really nice because it was a good policy right? yeah because arguably you want to take your vacation right but yeah if you're not like that's still that's still money that you're putting back into the firm so you might as well get a kick out right that's really good yeah no it, it was a good policy and it was one that was born out of obviously it was a boutique firm we worked hard but not at at big law hour levels and it was not the policy when we started we had a more traditional rollover but we had a trial that happened, and the people who were on that trial, I wasn't among them, just it slammed them, and they just weren't able to take all their vacations, and they used one week of their four that year. And the question was, hey, how do we value this? And the decision was made to do it by payout, which was, I think, the right answer. It's a good indirect way of getting it handled. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, reminder, so if you are sitting between multiple offers, you should let us know. Congratulations. Yeah, well, one, yes. Uh, Let us know. We're at tips at com. Call it the subject line, the offer, and we will look at those and try to get you a response to your situation. Even if you really know where you're going, it might be worth frankly, it might be worth sending us the questions anyway. Even though you may know what it is, your issue may raise some common themes that are valuable to other listeners. So our walking through it may still have some value to everyone else. You can be, you know, you can be a hero indirectly to other people. So send that. We don't need another hero. There we go. So, yes, you should read Above the Law. You should follow us on Twitter. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. I'm at Joseph Patrice. You should listen to the LTN family of podcasts. You should listen to the Jabot, which is Catherine Rubino's podcast here at Above the Law. You should be... What else should you be doing? Oh, you should Listening follow- to Ellie Karaoke? 
Yeah, well, not really. If we we can don't avoid need it. to find our way home. Yeah, let me see if I can find a sound effect for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but no, there's. Oh yeah, here it is. So, um, if you have an opportunity to uh, follow above the law on Twitter too, that's a- at ATL blog. Oh, and give reviews to this podcast and subscribe to it. Uh, That will help out. All right. With all that said, I think we're done. Talk to you later. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.